0: It's Just Business with Steve Thomas and your host, Chris Larry.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of It's Just Business on the Hogstide Network, the show where we look at the dollars and the cents spelled with a C and an S of the Sports Media Business Industrial Complex. How are you doing today, Steve? I'm doing all right, man. How are you? Oh, not bad, you know. Summer's winding down. Getting ready to ramp back up for uh, fall craziness. But other than that, pretty normal.
0: Yeah, but I mean, you're not going to have any sympathy for me in terms of melting in the summer. I'm down here in South Texas. It was like 109 yesterday, if I recall, or something like that. But that's crazy. Um, but my, 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 my distressing news... I think I told everybody a, couple, a few weeks ago I was going to go see Ingve Malmstein, remember?
1: Ah, oh, right, I, yes.
0: i am got to miss it, unfortunately. I'm going to be out of town for the day of the show. I seriously contemplated canceling that trip just so I can see Ingve play, see the maestro play, but uh, I just can't do it. I'm, I'm going to go see my parents at this place in Alabama they go. And it's like, do do I prioritize family or Ingve? And it was a really, really close call. And Ingve almost made it, but I got—I guess I got to do the parent, parental thing.
1: That would have been a tough call. Yeah, I'm I'm choosing Ingve over you.
0: (laughs) It would have gone. It wouldn't have gone (laughs) over well with them. I'm just saying, you know, if you want to have a strict, like a strict analysis, they're going to be here the following weekend. But Ingve isn't. You know, that's the (laughs) thing.
1: (laughs) He's off to Toledo and then Des Moines and
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So so what what's the really the priority here? <laughs> so and so I unfortunately selected family, which just distressed me greatly. You know, but
1: you know what the hell? I guess well, you know. It, it, if it was Steve Vi, would you? What, what what would have been your call? <sighs> I'm not a huge Steve Vai
0: fan. It's, I, he's a great player. He's more, far better, obviously, than I'll ever be. That's not my point. I don't think his songs are very good. He He's not, he's, his songs are strange. Um, I mean, the playing is on, you know, out of this world, obviously. Um, but he's not as fun to listen to. He's a, it's a guy I'd like to see play, just to say I saw him play. But Ingve is more my speed and musically, I think, a little bit. Steve Vai's songs are kind he's kind of like a modern day, um, frank zappa a little bit in terms of his musical taste and it's just not really my speed
1: yeah a little bit more weird um little of course wonky-er. you know the frank
0: zappa thing isn't is 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 bounded in truth a little bit because he he became came to promise because he um he came on frank zappa's radar first because he was like he like transcribed a bunch of zappa songs and sent it to him that's actually how steve i got his
1: start in music believe it or not was he ever officially a member of the Mothers of Invention, or no? Uh, I don't
0: think so. I don't think so, but he was involved, and I think he did play with him a little bit here and there. But that I know that's how he started. Was And when he was, like, real, like, not even, like, an adult, I think, is when this happened, or, like, very young.
1: Well, there you go. You got a couple, of, you know, if you're paying attention at home, uh, a couple of bits of trivia for you if you're at your next uh, pub trivia, and it comes up, what was Frank Zappa's band called, or... You know, these kind of things. There you go. You can uh, squirrel those away.
0: Oh, yeah. There you go. How did Steve Vai get his start? Who knew? (laughs) There you
1: go. Um, Well, we're vamping a little bit because it's actually not, you know, we're in that, we're in, there's a couple moments in the sports calendar where they feel a little bit, you know, slow, dead, not much going on. You know, you kind of got the all-star break, but this sort of right before the, uh, NFL season kicks off and everyone the the preseason is just a baton death march. Can we just all be honest about that? Um, but you know, in baseballs the what they call the dog days, you got the other sports are kind of still in their hibernation. So there's not a ton. There's not a ton of, uh, you know, earth shattering stories out there.
0: No, 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 there's not. It's, uh, it's a bit of a dead zone. I've always said like the network television schedule is really built upon uh, built from the NFL's schedule. It's not an accident that the network TV seasons kind of kicked off by that Thursday game. And so, right where we are, which is, y- y- you know, like the eve practically of the NFL season starting, the network TV starting, it's typically like an entertainment dead zone, even in like music uh it's it's kind of a dead zone right now in terms of like people uh, you know out there doing promotion for their stuff because it's you know the dead of summer and all of that so it's um yeah it's a it's a bit of a slow time but fortunately we have some we found some good business stories as we always do
1: that we have and this one started percolating a few weeks ago uh But I don't see it it quieting down anytime soon. In fact, from a legal standpoint, we're probably just kind of starting to arrange the chairs around the table to see how this is going to roll out. And I'm talking about the Michael Orr slash Tui family sounded like it was a bit of a feud amongst themselves. It seems to be estranged for about 10 years, but now it's blowing up into a legal battle a fiscal disagreements. But this is, uh, for those of you who don't know the names right at the top of your head, this all goes back to um, left tackle Michael Orr and his backstory that was uh, really kind of Brought to us public awareness by Michael Lewis first in in his book called The Blind Side, um, which featured a chapter on Michael Orr. The actual book was actually a sports analysis book about the position of left tackle but one chapter was about Michael Orr. that of course got turned into a very popular movie I think it grossed like 300 million Sandra Bullock won her Academy Award for playing the the, the matriarch uh tui um and uh just all of that the movie was going down just as Michael orr was actually having a pretty decent probably not as good as maybe some had predicted, but a pretty solid NFL career uh, with the Ravens and then the Carolina Panthers. So those all kind of came together in an early part of his career, and it was just this feel-good story and blah, 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 which we'll get into maybe. But the feel-good has ended, and now we have competing lawsuits, a whole bunch of allegations of extortion, money withheld, and all kinds of people from the producers of the film to Michael Lewis, the original writer of the Blindside book, are all sort of being pulled into this orbit of what looks to be a pretty nasty legal fight. Steve, as our uh, in-house lawyer, has started to dig into it, but uh, how are we sizing up the two corners here?
0: Yeah, okay, and first of all, by the way, this came on a couple weeks ago, and, and we missed a week for this show, just so everybody knows, just from a scheduling perspective, but we're going to be back on our regular every other week from here on out, but um, that made me think of that, so, yeah, so, um, okay, I didn't, first of all, I didn't, I don't know if you did, Chris, but I didn't realize that the or Michael Orr has been basically estranged from the Tuies for a while, for years, I've always wondered that, is he, like, still going back to their house for Christmas and everything, apparently not, which is kind of sad, um, okay, so what happened here, to go backwards, um, if you know the story, Michael Orr, and he wrote, he wrote a book, which I read, and then Leanne Tui wrote a book, too, which I have not read. And she also has a charity uh, that kind of uses this story as one of the central tenets kind of of her charity. Um, but so he his mother is a drug addict, and his father is dead, and he never knew his father. And so he was a ward of the state. And he originally got into this Briarcrest Christian school because a friend, the father of a friend of his recognized his athletic talent and recognized that he was a child in need and just took him and his son to Briarcrest and said and talked the school into allowing him to be a student there for free. And that's how he ended up in this Briarcrest Christian school in Memphis. And then the twoies and he was like bouncing around from couch to couch and without a home and all this stuff. No money, no clothes. And so Leanne Tui, as is shown in the movie, took an interest in him. And then he would stay there for a while. And eventually, um, after his junior year in high school, and he was a year behind, uh, you know, so he was 18 uh, when all this happened. But um, they asked him to move in with them permanently. And then, if you watch the movie, toward the end, it shows them adopting him. What actually happens as it turns out was that it was not an adoption. He was older than 18. Um, Now there's a such thing as adult adoption here, we'll get into this. But what they really did is they went to court and established a conservatorship, what's called a conservatorship. And that basically means that a court uh, says that another person or people has rights to make decisions for the person who is the subject of the conservatorship see spears comma britney so Brittany spears is nuts right she's got she's bipolar she's got some mental health issues and as a result of that her father famously or infamously had a conservatorship over her where he had, was authorized to make all decisions business medical all these things and it blew up and it became a media story in the case of britney spears she has a disability or a problem which is mental health michael or didn't really have that um and so, this, by the way, the, the I have the order for um, here it is, the order for the uh, conservatorship, and this was filed in December of two thousand four. He graduated or graduated from high school in May of two thousand five. So he was, it was really only his second semester of his senior year when he was under this conservatorship. the The court order does not go into or does not identify rather any sort of disability with, or it just says basically that this is in the best interest of both parties or wants this to be true. Uh, the Tui's wants us to be true. And that's it. That's really not what a conservatorship should be about. And also, by the way, again, there's something called a, a adult adoption. This happens quite a bit and you can do this under the law. I don't pretend to be a probate, you know, or lawyer or anything like that. Um, I, I mean, I'm a commercial real estate person, but Um, they didn't do that. I would suspect they didn't do an adult adoption because it's much more cumbersome. You can't just walk in and file an adoption, you know, petition and have it be done in a month. It's not like that. So my guess is they did this because they needed to have some rights over him because he, um, uh, meaning he, or, uh, was about to get recruited by college and all these things. And this is probably the path of least resistance. So, the petition, now fast forward now, Orr has filed in the same probate court in Shelby County. He's filed a petition to terminate conservatorship uh, for accounting and other relief. That's what it's called. It's not really a lawsuit against the TUIs per se, it is a petition in the conservatorship case. And in this thing, he has, he requests that the court um, terminate the conservatorship and he wants the court to order the two to disgorge any unlawfully held, uh, assets of oars essentially. And we're going to get into that here. So let me stop right here and get your thoughts on the fundamental question, which is why do you think if the two would have filed for a conservatorship versus an adult adoption, or the other alternative would have been to go through the state and have become, their his uh, you know f- former fo- his official foster family. The conservatorship is a bit odd, and now Orr's position is that they did it to take advantage of him. I don't know if timing wise it doesn't make a lot of sense, but your thoughts on that first, then we'll dive into the rest of it.
1: Yeah, I mean. We'll probably go a little deeper on this. first of all, yes. just to say that that uh, this is incredibly sad. You know, whatever machinations got us to hear, you know, this is not the way that this this is a a pretty bummer way for this whole thing whole thing to end. I do think it's it, it is interesting. Well, also the way that the movie portrays it and then the reality, right? So that to me is one of those moments where we're looking at what is perception, you know, which was this narrative that was constructed by Michael Lewis, the makers of the film, I'd say the TUIs themselves and just to some degree over himself. So, you know, to me... That moment in the film where that it's sold as an adoption and the reality of what took place kind of as kind of a moment here. It's kind of a, a great articulation of the difference here between the narrative and, and the the legal fiscal reality. I, I find it a little suspect that that's what the route they would have gone. You know, Ward of the State might have been, you know, would make a little bit more sense, at least in terms of like how they had sort of set them up as his. Well, that is what I, he was. He was a ward of the state. Oh, well, I mean, allowing them to be his, you know, like somehow, you know. Right. Be that ward or whatever that would right. be. I think it's weird that the conservative, cons, I remember, conservatorship, conserve, conservatorship. Whatever. Yes, that is still in place now. You know, like why, you know, like there was no statute of limitations. There was no timestamp on that. Like, I mean, what? what is he's retired from the NFL by, I think, like five or six years. So he's a you know, he's a full grown man who earned lots of his own money, you know, on the back of his own labor, which is being a left tackle in the NFL um, for, I think, about 11 year career, if I'm not mistaken. So why was he still in that situation? And so in that perspective, I could see him and were they not? did they not agree to dissolve that? You know, so like, why was that even in place at this point in any of their lives? And I wonder if they had actually dealt with that while he was playing, or sometime you know, with he was solidly established as an adult, some of this rancor and the uh, you know, like where does earning stop and start, might have been alleviated. So my main question is maybe not why they did it when he was eighteen, but why is it still in place now, and why does he have to petition for it to be, uh, you know, er, er, stop eradicated?
0: Yeah, well, yes, that was my question. I sort of get it a little bit at the time if they need to quick because because here's where or narrative is this they did this to me they lied to me they told me it was an adoption it was really conservatorship they did this so they could uh get all my money from the movie the Blind Side. he's not making any allegations about his nfl money that's not even a play here so it's really the only thing is about the Blind Side movie and so that's his narrative is they did all this so they can steal the the the, the movie from the money uh, the, the money from the movie um the reason why that narrative doesn't make sense is is they brought this kid in when he was a high school kid. Granted, they might have seen you know, his massive athletic talent, but you can't – nobody could predict NFL career, movie, money, all of that. That doesn't make – that narrative does not make sense at all, okay? Um, I suspect probably that their heart was in the right place w- when – The conservatorship was established again. I think probably they saw this kid is going to get a scholarship to play football. There needs to be an adult in charge here somewhere so we can make decisions for him. This is the path of least resistance. They can get this done very quickly in a court. There's all kinds of laws and state laws and rules and regulations about adoptions. And my guess is that to get somebody... Out of being a ward of the state is probably much the same. So they probably just did this really quick, cause that, so that's what they could do. I think you asked the right question, because Orr does have some points here. Why on earth is this conservatorship still in place? That makes less than no sense to me. Uh, again, uh, you know, if you take the Britney Spears example, Britney Spears has a mental health a documented, mental health and diagnosed mental health problem. That is why the conservatorship was in place. Orr has none of that. Orr is a normal adult. He's thirty-seven years old. Why is there conservatorship in place? It's almost kind of like everybody forgot about it, really, you know. Because again, like Orr's not claiming that that they took his football money, or even that he wasn't allowed to sign his contract. There's no allegation here that like the two had to sign his football contracts on on his behalf. Uh, you, know, you know, none of that. So it's 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 almost kind of like everybody sort of forgot about this. And furthermore, though. Um, there are reporting requirements and accounting requirements for these things. And again, I'm not licensed in Tennessee. This is not my world, but in generally speaking, there are accounting requirements and and OrR's petition makes note of this. The toys the have never filed a single accounting with the court at all, and they're supposed to do that, and they never have. Um, so the whole thing is weird. Um, and, and again, it's like sometimes these cases like this just kind of drop off the face of the earth. But in this case, yeah, apparently, what has come out in the past few weeks is that Michael Orr kind of threatened them years ago. you, you know, and you know, pay me or um allegation. I don't have the site right in front of me. There's been a lot of stories on it. he He threatened to you know, release information about them if they didn't, you know, pay him, and they didn't. And so now he's filed this lawsuit. Um, here's the money part of it, okay? The blind side made something along the lines of, as Chris said, $300 million. So what Orr is alleging in the petition is that the TUIs made millions of dollars off this movie and didn't pay him anything. Um, so that has been debunked. And I had, do have a site for this. It is the production company released a statement on Friday, uh, Thursday, Thursday afternoon. This is Alcon Entertainment. And uh, let's see. This you can find us on prnewswire.com. Um, and we'll
1: yeah, put P- the link in the show notes too. So okay, yeah, because because
0: I, I can't read this whole thing right now. But okay, so this is just a statement from PR Newswire. And so what? There's a lot in in this statement. It's not s- short, but the the most important part is that they said they actually only paid a quote approximately seven hundred and sixty-seven thousand dollars to the talent talent agency that represents the Tui family and Michael Orr. That's it. And, and um, apparently um, there's a difference between – from a contractual and rights and payment standpoint between making a movie about a celebrity – you know, there was an Elton John movie recently. Elton John made millions off that. The E's were totally unknown. Michael Orr was totally unknown. He was a college football player. That was it. And so in that case, the deal, according to the production company, was $767,000. Now, the E's have claimed that they split the money equally five ways and that Michael Orr refused to take the money, and so they put it in some kind of trust for his child, for his son. Um, and, and so there's really not in the big picture, a ton of money out there. And so I think, or according to Alcon Entertainment is misguided and incorrect if Alcon is to be believed in that regard. But I think he has a point about
1: the conservatorship thoughts. Well, one thing to sort of back up your point, when I start, when I, when I, the news broke about his, you know, he made the first move here that, you know, kind of hit the press. So with filing for the dissolving of the of this arrangement. And I did find it very odd about how much money that he was claiming or his side was claiming was still being paid out from this movie. Just cause that, you know, I know enough about the entertainment industry. That's just not how that, those things work. Right. Like, especially considering that they were not nobody's, you know, cause the book had been out and stuff. So, the, but you know, the, the, yeah, they're not Elton John licensing millions they of dollars. They weren't even on the ceilings. They were just people right. in, the, in the news. Right. So and even unless you've got points on the lifetime revenue of a film or any piece of media like that, there's no, you know, and those are very small. So this idea that there was still millions of dollars being, you know, output from a, you know, a movie It just seemed that seemed weird to me. That just seemed like that's just not how movies are made, right? That's just not how movie contracts work. That's not how, you know, that that you know, you know, obviously it was a popular movie, made decent amount of money, got accolades. But it was still, what, 15 years ago? Was still a chunk of time ago. It's not like a a 15-year-old movie, even one that was by all metrics successful. 10 years later is off putting millions of dollars to, you know, anyone but the studio or the producers. And then even at that point, it's not like it's not like it's some cash cow. So I thought that was very strange that would there would be that long tail of a revenue from the film that would even be worth fighting over. You know, like, so but that, even if they know, have points, maybe, maybe, even maybe, if they maybe, have maybe points
0: on it. The movie has been sold. The rights have been sold to a couple of TV networks here and there. It's not raking in millions and millions of dollars at this right, point. Right.
1: It's just that's not how that's not how the, the the financial mechanics of a piece of media like that work.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't think Orr really knows what he's talking about in that regard. And here's the other thing: the the principal fundamental allegation in this petition is that he did not understand. And the twoes did not explain to him that this wasn't and what really happened to him. <laughs> he says they told him oh, we can't adopt you because you're 18 but this is the exact same thing his book describes on multiple times that he was aware that this was a conservatorship the, the book discloses this and so the petition is in conflict with the book that he ostensibly wrote even if he didn't write it and a ghostwriter wrote it he's his name is on the book um and the ghostwriter didn't make this up so that is in conflict too i really it's very odd to me um, that this is where it came from, uh, or wh- where this came from now all of a sudden. I-, I don't know if he's got people in his ear now he didn't have before, or or what. Or maybe he's burned through all his money. I, I doubt that, because I mean, for those of you who don't understand, the reason why the Tuis are rich isn't just this movie. They owned a chain of Taco Bells and a couple other fast food restaurants. like A lot of them. Like They ended up with like a hundred of them or something. And he recent and he sold all those a, a few years ago for like $200 million. So they are very, very wealthy. Um, but, but my guess is that Orr probably has his money managed fairly well because of that. So I don't know where he's coming from with this. I, somebody has got to be in his ear telling him, Hey, the two, he's cheated you. And he just doesn't understand.
1: Right. Or maybe, and, and, you know, has a valid point about getting under out from under this uh, conservatorship that they have. And, and but now he's blowing it up and to be something bigger than maybe it is. I think the reality is the fighting about money and the fighting about contracts are what they can fight about. And obviously this got to be a very fractured relationship Um And a lot of, so I think this is emotionally driven by probably all sides to some degree than it is, you know, and so money, contracts, payouts are the things that they actually can fight about. And it's gotten that toxic that that's, this is where we're at. So I'm not sure even, you know, common sense or common fiscal success or legal, you know, a path to legal victory is necessarily what's even motivating all of this. This sounds like these things are the manifestation of of a relationship that has gone very sour.
0: Yeah, it's sad, you know, because. I mean, to say what you want about the, the twoies, but they took this kid in. It was a street kid. You know, and they tried to do right by him, at least in that regard. So the next question would be, did they take advantage of this kid by putting it out there on the media and allowing a movie to be made and all that, did or really understand and really have a voice in the the production of the movie and all of that? I don't know. That's an open question. I suspect he's going to say no, which is why, as you said, there's a lot of emotion, a lot of hurt. Now, this lawsuit came with a ton of discovery requests, lots of interrogatories, lots of requests for production. Um, If I had to take a stab at it, I would say that the two would probably settle this immediately. I don't think this is the type of case they're going to want to go to court over, I don't think it's even one they're going to even want to file discovery on, apparently that they're already have, or there's nothing on file with the court that I found but um, they've already agreed to, I guess, terminate the conservatorship, so then it just becomes an issue of money, and if I were them for sanity and peace of mind I would just pay him whatever it is he wants, find a number and be done with it,
1: that's what I would advise him, don't try a case like this nobody's reputation is going to come out for the better at the end of this if it goes through all of the process. I mean, that's oh, yeah. just a fact.
0: Yeah, and, and like probate cases aren't out. So so some jurisdictions, you can't access probate records like you can in, in, for normal civil cases. But in this case, um, everything is out there. I, I dug up everything in Shelby County Court records. Um, and, and so Shelby County does not appear to be a jurisdiction that um, protects these kind of records as do other jurisdictions. And so in that regard, all of this would be out there. The, the The discovery won't be filed with the court, but it'll be in a bunch of petitions if it gets ugly. So this is not – there is no good will come of this at all. And again, I think it's sad because it's a destruction of, of a family. Uh, you know, I mean – say whoever's right or wrong. These are people that came together through adverse circumstances that got blown up. And I, that's sad. Uh,
1: an interesting side note, maybe not even side note, but an interesting part of the story I actually think is the Michael Lewis angle. Now he was a high school friend of the, the father. So that's how the, you know, the, the story kind of got walked to him. And like I said, the book, the book, The Blind Side, really is it. Actually, for uh, uh, you Washington fans out there, it's actually got a very Washington connection. It's actually inspired by Theisman's oh. broken leg, because the it, that era and then since really was about the kind of the do, the kind of dominance and the need for strong left tackles. So as this core position on in football and the evolution of that and then the evolution of defenses, it was a football analytics book about. The cost and the rise of the left tackle. And then the Michael Orr chapter, just a chapter in the book, is kind of the human interest version of that. Like how far we'll go and how far talent at that position will kind of rise you up through the ranks, even against all odds type of thing of Michael Orr, right? And then so, but the rest of the book was numbers, analytics. You know, this is the guy that wrote Moneyball. So it was kind of like the football version of Moneyball. Yeah, so, it sounds
0: like you've read it. I've read it. It's a very, very good book. And and for those of you who are Joe Jacoby fans, the sort of the fundamental premise is that Joe Jacoby, he uses the example of Joe Theisen's broken leg to demonstrate the importance of the left tackle, which was, uh, and he talks about how Jacoby was a response to Lawrence Taylor. Right. Uh, you know, it's a very, very good book. But sorry, go
1: ahead. Yeah. So, but, so he gets walked a story, which gives him a, you know, a heartstring angle in the book, right? Not just, you know... For football nerds, and and so that starts the story. He's been pretty silent here. So if you buy, if if you if you take the side that you know the the Tui's kind of self-egregorized this myth, and you know blah blah blah, and they've obviously you know benefited from this over the years, then Michael Lewis is a pretty key part. He's the original storyteller of this whole thing. And, uh, you know, he's gone on to have a huge career in the financial industry, and I, I think we talked about this a couple months ago. He actually has been riding shotgun with Sam Bankman-Fried, so we'll probably get that take here at some point. But it does call into question his ethics. It calls into question how this story even came. Have they been in cahoots? You know, some clips of uh, Michael Lewis, you know, talking basically on, like, press stores for the book and then the movie of calling Michael War kind of dumb have now resurfaced. So this is just going to be – this is going to be nasty business for a lot of people, and you could imagine the twoies and the ores settle, as Steve suggests, and they kind of fade back into you know obscurity to some degree. Michael Lewis is an obscure, you know, he doesn't—he's his career is way past the twoies. It really will be interesting to see if he's the one that's got the most reputational damage fallout over this over time. And uh, I've already seen some stuff come into question. With him and his ethics in this whole thing, so just that's another little fascinating subplot.
0: Yeah, and by the way, I mean the other thing is attorneys' fees in this are going to be racked up quite quick. Uh, Orr's got four separate law firms all working on this case; they they all get paid, you know. There, so yeah, I I don't think it does anybody any good to air this kind of drama. The Tui's can afford it; pay him some money. That's it. The end. Make it go away. That's best for everybody. You make a good point about Michael Lewis. Uh, you know, my guess is that Lewis at some point is going to say, "Yeah, well, I didn't make too much money on it, and don't blame me." It, you know, that kind of thing. Probably, but it's not going to do anybody any good at all. So, yeah.
1: Settle no, it. this is a reverse Maybe. reputational car wash for everybody involved.
0: Kind of blows up the blind side a little bit, though, doesn't it? Can you watch this the movie <laughs> the movie anymore, <laughs> knowing what yeah. we know now? <laughs>
1: Yeah, totally. And one thing I wanted to call—I think that producers off that. Then, like I said, we'll have that you can read their their stuff uh, direct from the source. But I kind of did think think it was a little disingenuous in their statement when they were like, "We stand by the narrative of the uh, narrative of the film, and everything there is true to life." BS. Anytime you're making a movie, even in the best of tensions about real life to the silver screen, you're taking affordances, you're taking narrative twists, you're doing what's best for the film. So this idea that, you know, this was somehow – they almost talk about it, and I understand probably legally why they're doing – they're they're towing a line. But, you know, they're basically like, <laughs> well, we produced a documentary. You know, and everything about this was authentic and legit. Like, come on, please. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's a movie. It's narrative building.
0: Everybody needs to understand – that the only truth in filmmaking are documentaries.
1: Even and you that's know, even there's even some ethical questionable there. But yes. absolutely.
0: I mean, mo- you know, documentaries sometimes take positions and have slanted views of the truth, all of that. But this is a fictionalized drama based on a true story. Okay, <laughs> that's what it, you know. All of these movies like this are like that. The Queen movie, Bohemian Rhapsody, was v- dramatically different than than reality. Just the Elton John movie is a damn musical, for Christ's sake. Uh, you know, all of the none of this is 100% truth. In the case of The Blind Side, um, Michael Orr makes a big point in his book to say, Leanne Tui did not teach me how to play football, which was the, what basically they kind of implied in the movie. He made the point, and it seems to be reality, that he was an outstanding athlete before he even ever met the Tui's. Um, and, and so there's a lot of drama and license in movies, and you cannot take this kind of thing as, as gospel. What you, If you really want to know the truth, read Michael, Michael Orr's book, read Leanne Tui's book, and then read The Blind Side. That will give you a closer view of what actually happened here. And I think the God's honest truth is that... Or probably was aware that this was a conservatorship, but didn't totally understand it back then because he was an 18 year old kid who barely graduated high school. Uh, you know, and, and the, the, whatever motive the Twees had before, they are at fault for not terminating this conservatorship
1: or yeah, properly reporting. I bet you that yeah that's that's my that's going to be what that I think the not properly reporting is where they're in the hottest of water regardless of their anything else but I bet you that they wish they had put like some kind of like uh, you know dissolve clause after 10 years or something
0: Well yeah that's what's sp- supposed to happen they're supposed to be and again I don't claim to be an expert especially in under Tennessee law because I'm not licensed in Tennessee but there this is none of these conservatorships are supposed to be indefinite there's always some kind of reporting you know, requirement, some evaluation requirement. You can't just, this is not supposed to go on just forever. Um, Whereas this, this conservatorship really does. And it's, I think it's odd, very odd. And it makes you wonder if you want to, here's, if you want your Oliver Stone theory, here, here it is. I don't, I don't know if I believe this, but the Tui's are very influential people in Memphis. Okay. Major, very wealthy business owner. They know everybody. Is this, Some kind of like sweetheart deal, you know, through the court um, because they're very well known and the judge was just wanting to go, yeah, whatever you want. Here it is because you are a rich, you know, elite, you know, business uh, Memphis Illuminati. I mean, is that so far fetched? If you and I walked into court, could we get this kind of deal? I I don't know. Probably not.
1: No, I mean, I think those things are all 100 percent wrapped up. It's just how the world works to a degree. It's not even like some great like nefarious statement.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, look. I mean, if your father is the president, and you're gonna, you can use his name to, you know, blackmail other company, uh, other countries, right?
1: (laughs) No, (laughs) Chris is drinking when I'm Um, saying this.
0: I'm just joking. We're not
1: politics uh, here. It's coffee. It's coffee. Um, You know, it'd be fascinating, and this will be one of those ones that you know will will give us headlines for the next you know six months minimum this is not unless they unless they take steve's advice and and make this go away quickly which doesn't really appear like that's the path uh you know maybe actually cool no chris it does tail.
0: because the Tui's uh, if yep. the Tui's terminate the conservatorship then it just becomes a dollar figure number then that's right. a mediation okay. right there
1: the funny thing about and then we'll move on but the britney spears is the britney spears analogy is kind of interesting one it just means America knows what conservatorships are to a different degree than we would Barely. have otherwise, right? Because everyone <laughs> – you know, so like there's at least a concept of doubt that out there in the world about what this is, cause we've heard about it. And then two, even with, you know, uh, Brittany's mental health issues, she still won her independence. So she even, you know, she was even able to to terminate this. So, you know, she got out from under it too.
0: But this uh, this concern, and we need to move on, but this conservatorship is kind of odd because it just seems like everybody kind of forgot about it. Because, again, no allegation has been made that the Tui's had to sign his contracts with the Ravens and the Panthers. Uh, you know, no allegation has been made that that money went into an account that was jointly held by the Tui's and Michael Orr. So it just seems like everybody sort of forgot about it and forgot to get rid of the conservatorship, kind of. No allegations have been made that they had to sign a lease or a purchase of a home for him or a purchase of a car. Uh, You know, all of those things the conservator has to do, and none of that is true. So it just seems like it just kind of sat, and once he became an adult and and a rich football player, they just kind of forgot
1: about it. Well, there you go. Next story up uh, is... Reggie Bush is back in the news a little bit also um, with various legal wranglings. um but basically he is on a quest to um basically clear his name is the long and short of it. And <laughs> not only th- not only that, but clear his name and then get his Heisman back, probably to get his records back, probably to you know ultimately, if you follow that path, you'd get USC to have their national championship, you know, which they won on the field reinstated. But he is basically out there and, uh, you know, was he suing the NCAA, right? So about basically to to, to clean his name and to get all those things put back on the official record books because he's like, hey, you know, college football is thriving right now on the things that you have basically negated my career accomplishments for. So how about we go ahead and fix this now? Um, so he's basically suing the NCAA to put his stuff back.
0: Yeah, uh, I have not read this petition. I did not have time to find this and pull this. But this is a defamation lawsuit filed in Indiana. I don't know what court they're in. Doesn't say, The article I'm reading does not say whether it's federal court or, or state court. Don't know. But ultimately, it's a defamation case. And what he's basically saying is that the NCAA put out all these things about him, made him – uh, the, the, the lie would be that he had a paper, a pay for play scheme going while he was at USC. He says that's totally untrue. Okay. So here's what defamation is. Defamation is for normal non-public figures. It's you told an untruth to someone else about me. So if Chris and I are not public figures. I'm putting aside that we host this show. We're not public figures. And so the idea would be if I published an article about Chris that said he was a child molester then and it was not true, which it's not true, um, then that's defamation. But when you're a public figure, the standards change. You have to have malice attached to it. An intent attached to it. If you're a public figure, this is why these celebrities and politicians typically lose these cases because um, all the media has to say is, "Hey, we had there's some kernel of truth into this, and we thought it was true in the end." Whereas if you're not a public figure, then it becomes dramatically easier because it's just untrue. I will give you an example. The kid, what? Uh, San Nicholas Sandman? Sandman, remember this guy? This was that might not be his first name, but Sandman. I don't know, three years ago, he was a student at a sk- private school that was at the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., and a older Native American gentleman came up to him and was like beating a drum and and, and um, it ended up being like an abortion, anti-abortion thing. The media jumped all over this kid Sandman because he was filmed kind of standing there with this older gentleman in his face, and the media turned this into – rude kids berate older gentlemen about abortion, something like that. I bring all this up, not to judge him, but to say that he filed a massive, huge lawsuit against the New York Times and CNN and others and collected one and collected money. And the reason he did is he's not a public figure. Tom Cruise sues the LA Times. He's probably going to lose. So Reggie Bush here has a mountain to climb because... He's a public figure and so they're going to he's going to have to prove that the NCAA intentionally went out to smear him and that's probably not the case. Now if you go back to remember what happened, what all of this stems from is that Reggie Bush had a bunch of do wells around him namely his parents who had taken money from agents and like the agents like bought him a house, you know, the the family um, and there was there was not really at the time too many allegations that Bush himself took money. It was the people around him, but um, I, he's now saying that all this, all this stuff the NCA did was because they said that he it was a paper play scheme, which he says is not true. So what he's asking for as relief is his Heisman Trophy back, which makes no sense. That's not relief that a court can order necessarily, um. And and his records and his kind of his life back. So that part doesn't make a lot of
1: sense. And by the way, we're we're uh, really jumping off a story in The Athletic, pretty much our go-to story. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, former USC star Reggie Bush files defamation lawsuit against NCAA. And I'd love to call out an author, but this was actually a collective effort of the athletic staff is getting credit for it. So uh, data collecting from across their uh, reporting uh, stable. And they do say one of the reasons about the Heisman Trophy is that the NCAA – the Heisman Group, which is a you know the Gridiron Club or whatever, it's a separate group from the NCAA. But they've demurred and said – They'd be happy to give it back to him, but they are going to follow the NCAA's lead. So I guess they're, Bush Bush's thinking is if he they can force the NCAA to make this accommodation, and then the the Gridiron Club would follow suit pretty quickly. Um, yeah, I think this might be a hard case to win for Reggie Bush, right? Because I think I think probably the NCAA's. Core legal argument will be where you still violated the rules at the time, right? Like it doesn't matter what we're doing right now. It doesn't matter that University of Georgia has a $25 million kitty for NIL payouts through some kind of bizarre nonprofit, you know, giving circle type of arrangement. Um, you know, and it's happening everywhere. I talked – hanging out this week with my brother who runs a big George Mason fan media – thing and he said you know the George Mason basketball is up to $400,000 in their NIL NIL pool right now so like you know even $400,000 right now Sheesh. in George Mason's NIL you know co-op or whatever so but but this is 20 you know what did that start let's call it 2021 or whatever here we are in 2023 none of that was in play when Reggie Bush violated the rules so i don't think now, I've got two takes on this. I think he's going to have a tough time winning this in a court of law. but it, i but I think he has a I think he's right. I think it was ridiculous then. It's ridiculous now. And he seems like he, he, name another player that we have in our consciousness over the last thirty five years who is the. Is, is out there as the, you know, kind of poster child for everything wrong with college athletics, has all of his accomplishments taken away, doing something that all, most of his peers, and when I say peers, I don't mean all college football players, I mean at his level, were, be- were obviously benefiting from to some degree. That, that, that you, you know, do I have evidence? No. Am I right? Yes. And then what is, is now the policy in place for how to stock a college football team, I think and I actually think the NCAA should not fight tooth and nail in this. They should actually acquiesce. They should give him his stuff back. And I think it would be a, a PR win. And I think it would acknowledge, you know, a little bit of their own hypocrisy now, you know, and like, how do you smooth that over? But I, uh, you know, I don't think he wins this in, you know, mediation or court of law or whatever kind of official mechanic this goes through, because all you have to say is he violated the rules at the time. And that would be very difficult to overcome.
0: Yeah, I'd like to point out that Johnny Mansell just made a whole documentary bragging about how he right. was selling his name and likeness illegally, <laughs> you
1: know. Yeah, and no he one even... stripped his a- Texas A&M records away. No,
0: no, nobody did. So I, I do agree with all that. And here's the, also, none of whatever Reggie Bush collected or didn't collect had anything to do with his performance on the field or the performance of the USC Trojans, which led to that, those great teams didn't they win a national championship or, you know, um, well
1: not officially anymore, but yes, right,
0: right, 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 right. You know, and, and he earned the Heisman trophy through his play on the field and there's a difference. And, and yeah, they kind of made Reggie Bush the poster child and they hammered USC they ruined the USC football program, basically with all the sanctions, you know, they didn't hit Penn state, a school, which, um, harbored and turned a blind eye towards a child predator as hard as they hit USC, <laughs> you know? So I, I do think Reggie Bush has been treated unfairly here. I think, As you said, from my perspective as Mr. Attorney here, he's got a very hard road to hoe for the case, for the reasons I described before. You know, He's got to subscribe intent to all this, um, and that's just very hard. But I think the NCAA should do the right thing and give him back his Heisman, because he earned the Heisman, and especially in light of everything that's happened. And I think you're right to say that the majority of people at his level were and still are taking money under the table uh, you know especially since in this case it was the allegations were really that his family were the ones doing it uh, you know it wasn't the allegations weren't so much that bush was taking millions of dollars it was that his family was like the agents were paying his parents uh so yeah i agree with you um i don't know what's gonna that that's what should happen chris but here do what do we think will happen uh, if we need to do a prediction what I think will happen? I think I, yeah. But, go ahead. Well, no, I was gonna say I think the NCAA is not gonna do any of what we're saying. The NCAA is like a slow-moving tidal wave. Uh, you know, they don't do anything fa- That's a terrible analogy. Uh, um, they're very slow-moving. They don't do anything fast, and I don't think or decisively. I don't think they're just gonna go. Whoops, yeah, okay. Here's your heisenback They're gonna fight this forever,
1: and I think
0: they'll probably win in the end, which is a shame.
1: I totally agree. I I think they'll make all the bad moves here. I think they want to win a fight, right? They, when, how often does the NCAA win a fight? You know, they're shredded rarely, constantly
0: point. and yeah, all the time in court. Yeah.
1: So this I think they're going to view it as like, you know, they're lying in the sand, right? We're not going to back down. We've got integrity. This was the right call at the time. It's the right call now. So I think they'll fight it. Well, one, because I think we all know that they probably will win, right? So it's like they feel safe that. But that's not really the reason. The reason is because they want that PR win. They want to seem tough. They want to seem like they have, you know, kind of some kind of governance about what the hell is going on right now. They, ha- they, you know, they, they want that perception. And so they'll fight this just because of, of those reasons, which you know, I think are all the wrong decisions to make, even in a world in which they're trying to protect the NCAA's reputation. I still think even from that thinking, I think it's a, a, a short term win and a long time, a long time loss. And, but we, but we know that they're a hypocrisy machine, right? So this is just like, this is just the NCAA's his, hip, hypocrisy machine throws up examples Every week, every couple weeks, and and you know, with this is just the you know we're gonna put Reggie Bush's face on it again.
0: Yeah, it's there's no small amount of irony in the fact that they're probably gonna draw a hard line in the sand on conduct that is now legal. <laughs>
1: <You know? laughs> that's such a good way, a great, a great way to put it. And you know, Gridiron Club, ha, you know, have some. You know, have some intestinal fortitude here. Just give Ms. You know, like, why Why do you, in what world do you need to bow down to the NCAA? They're, they're, they're not even a paper tiger. They're like a paper house cat. Just give Ms. Heisman.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the Heisman has nothing to do with anything. The whole, th- the whole thing is a gross overreaction,
1: in my view. All right. We got, um, one final one here, and this is that, which is like one. These are one of these stories that, like, I you know, like only pops up again in our consciousness when there's a settlement, which is kind of interesting. But Sage Steele has now officially departed ESPN, and probably with a payout. I don't know if I have the details on on how much or whatever, but they basically have come to a legal and fiscal arrangement, um, which has her no longer, um, longer working at ESPN. Uh, so, you know, it's probably a lot wrapped up in this, you know, like who can say what? And, and she was obviously a, a, a more conservative, personal conservative viewpoints. And that maybe clashed, maybe didn't. That was the, the you know, her beef. But Steve, what is, what is the legal and fiscal arrangements of her exit?
0: Yeah, this, I, I think... We don't want to delve too much into the politics here, but it just what what happened was Sage Steele said a bunch of kind of conservative-leaning things on the air, and on podcasts and in writing and stuff, you know, about like COVID vaccines and about certain policies. Uh, she said something about Barack Obama, uh, you know, is biracial. I'm biracial, and it's interesting that he chose to be black, and you know, things like that. And then ESPN uh among us, she said some other things here, too. And ESPN basically told her to shut up and apologize. Um, and so she filed a lawsuit against ESPN saying she was, her speech is protected by the First Amendment um, and that she's sort of unfairly ostracized from ESPN on the basis of her speech. Um, that's dumb, okay? I, now... If I have to explain this for the hundredth time, I guess I do. The First Amendment does not protect you against your employer limiting your speech. The First Amendment protects you against the government limiting your speech. So if the government does things like limit the reach of articles on Twitter by forcing Twitter to uh, limit the reach of tweets... As has been alleged, that is a First Amendment problem. What is not a First Amendment problem is ESPN telling Sage Steele to shut up. I don't even agree with what ESPN's position on a lot of things. But the idea that a private employer does not have the right to limit the voice of its employees, particularly a public-facing voice like Sage Steel, is just wrong, Okay. And so that I think is fundamentally what's wrong with her lawsuit is that I mean I'm glad she got out from under him. She clearly didn't fit with ESPN, and so God bless her, uh, you know. And yes, they came to some settlement here. Here, and so it appears. But I think from a legal perspective, her First Amendment rights have absolutely nothing to do with ESPN whatsoever.
1: Yeah, I wish I you know I wish from all angles people would start to understand that better. It's such a it, it is such a it's. Ignorance muddying the waters every time this comes up, and it's it's frustrating on all levels. But they, mu- I wonder. So, because this took a while, right? This is like from a like I mean, <laughs> her referencing stuff on. she said about Barack Obama. So that already tells you we're dated, right? You know, that's at minimum six years ago, seven years ago. It's so. been a
0: while. It's been a long time. Yeah.
1: I wonder if the settlement was some kind of since they've been in this battle or whatever you want to call it—a kerfluffle. Uh, if she, if they basically compensated her for back wages, like you know, like oh, well, I can tell earn- you,
0: probably, Chris. I mean, you know this, but it, it, if somebody like this is not just a standard at-will W two employee, she undoubtedly had an employment contract that obligated her to do certain broadcasting services, and so probably a settlement is some compromise uh, payout of the remainder of whatever is in her contract. That'd be my guess.
1: Yeah. Right. Something similar to that. So I don't, you know, and maybe there was like a whiff of some, you know, little bit extra on top as a damage go away thing just to put this to bed. But I, I don't, I don't think it was much more than that. By the way, we're, we're, uh, CNBC obviously is a good source for us, uh, uh um, considering what they cover a uh, business uh, and this was an article. I mean, you can find this anywhere. But we were we were taking our facts from uh, CNBC article. Sage deal departs ESPN following lawsuit settlement by uh, Lillian Rizzo, who we've also ref- referenced in the past. um. Yeah, no, and and you know she she we'll see. She kind of did probably some damage to her career only in as far as she's been sort of not in front of the camera now for these these amount of years right so you know i wonder i wonder where she lands next but uh, she's gonna have to sort of i mean i, I would imagine she's gonna want to put this behind her to restart her career
0: yeah i'd like to throw one more yeah i agree and uh, she's a broadcaster and she's got to talk her way into a broadcasting job and she's been fighting with her broadcasting and broadcaster employee and look i even kind of agree with her on in a lot of her positions but it's not the point but i'd like to throw one other angle into this Disney owns ESPN. Disney is absolutely hemorrhaging money at unparalleled rates right now. A bunch of their movies have tanked. The parks are tanking. That Star Wars hotel thing tanks. They've got this massive, huge deal with Hulu where they're supposed to pay Hulu some enormous, like $40 billion. Some huge number here coming up in a couple of years. Um, I don't know if Disney can afford to needlessly fight over things like this <laughs> you know or spend more money for years in in a lawsuit and trials and all that i think disney would be um far more inclined to just pay her some amount of money and have her go away
1: yeah totally and not also they don't want i mean even they don't want these echoes right they don't you know like they want to put these things to bed you know they're trying to sort of fight off you know they're trying to you know kind of reestablish themselves into sort of center but not even center sort of a, a, a sort of apolitical center so you know these kind of fights do them no good yeah they don't you know they don't want to keep paying for these things i i i totally agree it'd be curious to see you know what happens next with her you know does she does she lay does she land at a bar stool or an outkick is she relevant enough at all even for those outlets you know i mean you don't if your job is on front of the camera and today's sort of like short attention span theater type of situation you know not being in front of the camera you know is the worst thing for your for your career now she'll get a little bit of a bounce and like i said i think she still probably got enough of a name but if this had been 20 16, 2017, you know, 2015, somewhere in there, you know, she'd probably be able to walk into something else. Now, it, it, I'm super curious about, about her next. I suspect she didn't, she probably got a decent check, but I don't know if it's life changing. I don't think it, I don't know if the check is, I can't, I don't need to work
0: yeah uh probably not and she's probably under some kind of non-compete too you know up until this point which probably would get released in conjunction with the settlement i I, barstool you mentioned barstool they're kind of like the home for wayward broadcasters in some respects and so that seems like a pretty good um pretty good landing spot for because barstool is kind of intentionally rebellious and they really don't care about things like that so i i if I, right off the top of my head, without putting a ton of thought into it, I would think that might be my leading contender. Because like, ABC or not ABC, it's Disney. But like CBS or something, I you know, uh, after suing her employer, I, it seems less likely than like a bar stool, if you ask me.
1: Yeah, no. Uh, oh, you know, we kind of and I, we have, we have not prepared and we do not have the time, but uh, we might want to revisit coming up. The, the, the whole thing with Barstool is pretty fascinating with that whole, like, losing the gambling contract and rebuying themselves yeah. back and stuff. There's some interesting uh, – that's one um maybe just to, to that's watch.
0: That's a business story that we need to do coming up.
1: Yeah, like because that – and and I'm not sure, – like I said, I'm not prepared to talk about because I actually don't know yeah. all the mechanics about how that went down, but – that was a pretty big high wire act between that one gambling company. Oh, here we're just throwing out Chum in the Waters for future shows. <laughs> I'm actually thinking we might have to do the first ever It's Just Business book club about this gambler book. That book sounds wild.
0: <laughs> it's Just Business book club. We can, we're down, down with it, man. We can do that. I've yeah, we I've
1: been that the what Billy Walters, right? That's his name.
0: Yeah, well, that's not a bad idea. We we, we need to do. We'll, we'll do the Barstool thing, and we'll talk about that book. Um, I have not read it, but that's Oh, we um, it. Just
1: can't. It actually just came out. A, you could only. You couldn't even buy it. I think until like Tuesday or Wednesday this past. Yeah. Week.
0: Okay. So that's all. That's good. So that's a good idea. But yeah, I mean, do you think Barstool is a decent landing spot maybe for?
1: I think they like to grab headlines. They like to have a rebel culture, as you said, um, and they've got tons of outlets right they got the vlogs they got the podcasts, they got the youtube videos you know they've got you know the regional stuff so they have lots of the other thing is they have to be pumping out content constantly so you know anything that's going to be a con uh, you know content mill is good for them
0: yeah yeah so we'll see what happens to her i certainly wish her the best of luck and she needs to go <laughs> read the constitution a little bit i think <laughs> well <laughs> she's not alone no a lot
1: of people do <laughs> My so. rights have been
0: violated because my employer won't let me speak. Sigh. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, every. Yeah. We're all. Yeah. Most of us are at will employees in America. Um, if you got a salary. All right, Steve. Um, wow, you must be really ramping up for you know the uh, regular season. Even though this gulf between this. They got first of all. They got to figure out this NFL preseason. They do not have it right right now. This gap between this third preseason game and the kickoff Thursday it feels like a whole new. It feels like a second off season.
0: Yeah, I don't really get it. I don't really understand. It, there's it, it's basically two full work weeks, you know, off. Yep. Uh, and 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 it seems like you have this build up, and then you're going to lose momentum by giving a really long period or no, no football's happening. I, I think that's kind of dumb. What I would do is I would just move the preseason start week up a week and not have an off season or, or an, an off week rather. Um, but yeah, in terms of hog certainly we're gearing up for the preseason. We've got the hog which is a release every Thursday.
1: Uh, and uh, we have all of our regular written content. Um Totally. Uh, they, basically, here's the hi- highlight on NFL preseason. The 17-game 17, seventeen game season was a rush job, and it, we're paying the price for it now. Um, yeah. All right, so check into the Hogs Tie for this exciting Commander season, and we will see you in two weeks.